This winter, as the days are short and it gets dark so early, I am so tempted to reach for a hot cup of comfort in the afternoons, which is why I'm so grateful that I've discovered Organifi Harmony. This delicious cacao and chocolate-flavored blend gives me that afternoon comfort without causing harm to my body. It contains adaptogens and 12 superfood ingredients, including maca, cacao, stinging nettle, and turmeric to promote better balanced hormones. And for the next two weeks only, when you buy any two Organifi products, you'll get gold chocolate for free. This is a delicious zero-sugar hot cocoa that eases your body into a calm, relaxed state and promotes recovery while you rest. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition at high-quality ingredients. It helps you move from a depleted to nourished state. You just add to water, stir with a spoon, and enjoy any time for more energy, nutrition, hormone balance, and peace of mind. It's a great way to jumpstart your morning, energize your afternoon, or nourish your evening. Head over to www.organifi.com slash bestofyou and use code bestofyou for 20% off your entire order. That's www.organifi.com slash bestofyou. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison, and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past, and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of The Best of You Podcast, where we are here for our third and final installment of this series on transitions. And for today's episode, I wanted to devote an entire episode to parenting through transitions, because the reality is that one of the ways that life presents us with so many opportunities to walk through transitional seasons is through the act of parenting. Our kids go through so many transitions from birth all the way until they leave the nest and even into young adulthood. And if we're not aware and naming these different milestones, these different developmental seasons and what they require of us, we can find ourselves really disoriented because our kids are walking through a transition and we need to figure out how to adjust to be that anchoring presence for them. Because the truth is, as your children go through these different developmental transitions, you simultaneously have to go through your own. There's an invitation for us to do some of our own work, whether it be to grow in skills we never even thought we needed or thought we could have, or whether it be to do some of the work of reparenting ourselves, where some of what our kids are going through surfaces areas of wounding in our own lives that we need to pay attention to so that we can parent from a healthier version of ourselves. And to anchor ourselves in this conversation, we're going to rely on the work of Eric Erickson. He's a psychologist who set forth this idea that we really are developing. We're going through transitional seasons throughout the course of our lives from being a tiny baby all the way to the end of our life. He identified eight stages of development that we all go through. If you want to get all eight of those, you can go back to episode 69, eight challenges to resolve as you become the person you were meant to be, where I walk through all of those. But in today's 
today's episode, we're really going to focus on those first five all the way into young adulthood. So if you're parenting, our hope is that this episode will help name and validate and normalize some of these transitional seasons that you've either already been through or you're currently in or maybe you're headed toward. And if you're someone who's not a parent or maybe somebody who parented a long time ago, this episode still has a ton of value for you because we all go through these developmental stages. And so as you're listening, think about your own childhood, because looking back is often so helpful in understanding where we are now and where we want to go. And so I'm thrilled to once again invite my friend Rowena Day, who is a spiritual director and mother of four, back on the podcast to join me for this conversation on parenting through transitions. Thank you so much, Rowena, for joining me in these conversations about transitions these last couple of weeks. Oh, thanks, Allison. This is just a fascinating topic to think about human development from all the different perspectives, emotional, neurobiological, social, spiritual, and just how they're all connected and interwoven together in these complex and beautiful ways. It's fun to try to tease it apart a little bit together and just notice and name the invisible realities that are so much a part of our everyday, but that we take for granted. I love how you call that these invisible realities. They're always operating in the background. And one of the the things that really can bring them into the forefront is when we're seeing our kids go through these seasons or, you know, my work so often when I'll hear parents start to describe a certain set of frustrations and I realize, oh, they're in a new developmental season and they haven't given themselves permission to recognize, oh, we're dealing with a whole new set of reality here. We've got to adjust. We've got to change. We've got to be flexible to this new reality. And that forces me to grow, right? So we're going to start with the very first stage of development that Erickson talks about from when a child is born to around 18 months. We're really in this stage Erickson calls trust versus mistrust. And in this stage, infants are learning in their bodies this idea that we call attachment, this idea of safety. Can I trust a caregiver? Is there a benevolent adult around who can provide consistent reliable care where I'm loved and safe and soothed and seen, right? This is that basic need for a very secure attachment, a loving environment that fosters trust. And the opposite occurs where there's neglect or inconsistent care or abuse that leads to mistrust or what we call these insecure attachments. And so during this stage as a parent, we're really learning how do we create this safe, nurturing environment as imperfect humans who are not going to do it exactly right. There's a steep learning curve for us. And sometimes I fear that all this talk of secure attachment can put undue pressure on parents to try to make it such a perfect environment for an infant that is also not reasonable and not a fair expectation of parents So Rowena, what is it like as a parent to go through this transition yourself, even as you're aware of what your young infant is going through? One of the things that I think is most wild about parenting is that you find that you're navigating your own transitions simultaneously as you're navigating how your children are transitioning through their developmental stages. Whereas previously, before you were a parent, 
you are only going through your own transitions. And then you have a baby and it feels like there's a transition happening at the beginning every day, every week, every month. And it's a lot of just rapid fire transitions, trying to meet the needs of each stage. And then a new one starts and you're sort of trying to figure things out again. And then I think also most importantly, the fleeting nature of time and sort of feeling for me, at least the ache of time passing, the letting go journey just begins right away. And it's a strange paradox of watching your child develop while also letting go of who they have been. You have to be so nimble and so kind to yourself as you are just thrown into the deep end of parenting. And there's no way that we can assume a one-size-fits-all approach to how everyone experiences these transitions. But I think there are some very common ones that we walk and wrestle our way through. It can be a beautiful thing and so life-giving and also really challenging. It can be a lot of both ands that are very intense at the same time, like such delight. And going through the transition of letting go of the life you had before you had a child. I knew that cognitively before I became a parent, but walking through it myself was a whole different ballgame. You talked in last week's episode about the competing needs for authenticity and attachment. And we were talking about it in the context of adult relationships, but in a parenting relationship, you also face some of those competing needs and it could really touch on areas of our own lives where we maybe didn't get that kind of parenting, where nobody ever really did that work of holding space for us. And so we're struggling to figure out how to ground ourselves and to be kind to ourselves while we're also trying to learn those skills with our kids. Yeah, there can be a lot of tension that can arise within us. The transitions for an infant are obvious, but I think what is perhaps less talked about is the way that it changes the adult's brain. And so the parents themselves go through significant shifts in their neural pathways. Several decades ago, there was just like one book on parenting. And now there's an overwhelming amount of information and opinions and advice about how to take care of this baby well. It can be a stressful thing trying to sift through and take some of the wisdom while also learning and accepting that parenting is a learned skill that I think sometimes we can have the expectation that we will have the intuition immediately to know what to do. And I think there is a lot of that built in. And also it requires slowly learning to grow and trust your own intuition. I love that you say it's a learned skill. We're not expected to hit the ground running knowing exactly how to do it. And God designed it that way. We're not expected to show up perfectly. As much as it's a huge transition, obviously, for the child who's being brought into the world, it is a huge transition for the parent. And to honor that, just as we've been saying over and over in this series, to give yourself space and permission to be in process with it. These stages come fast and quick in these early years because pretty quickly we're into this second stage where children, you know, say around 18 months to around three years, they're still not in school, but they're developing more autonomy. And this is where Erickson talks about autonomy versus shame, where children need this safe place. They need safety to explore a little bit more, to begin to differentiate a little bit. They're going out on their own. They're exploring their environment. They're asserting their independence, which is really necessary. And also they they need a lot of support. They need to do that within, again, that secure attachment. And this is where we have to shift and, again, develop another skill set seemingly overnight to parent our kids through this next stage. And so talk to us a little bit about that, Rowena, about the parents' experience as our children get a little bit more active. Mm-hmm. 
So I think with that comes a lot of joy about witnessing these milestones and the immense growth that they go through. Just delight in seeing their ability to play and be present. The way that they express their emotions so freely and in such an embodied way can also be challenging, but it is also I think very inspiring for adults to embrace their emotions more fully, their ability to name what they want, and just watching their personality unfold. One of the most significant transitions for parents as the baby grows from an infancy to toddlerhood is the challenge of establishing freedom within limits and discerning and figuring out how to give choice to your toddler without it being too overwhelming or too restrictive so that they can develop their autonomy. And that just you're going to be hit with those decisions moment after moment. I love Dan Siegel's image of the river and the flowing river in the middle. And on one bank, you have the bank of rigidity. And on the other bank, it's the bank of chaos. And somehow as a parent learning over time to not park yourself on either bank. (laughs) And that is a dynamic and challenging dance, giving freedom within limits and doing that uniquely to each child so that they have kind of that sweet spot of developing their autonomy with knowing that the boundaries are firm and secure while not being too restrictive and also knowing that they have some choice. So how do you navigate that transition inside of yourself as you're having to learn this really important new skill set on the fly? What goes on inside of you and how do you help yourself through that transition? Yeah, there's a lot of making mistakes. I think it's just a process of learning, oh, that worked, that didn't work. Okay, and fine-tuning along the way. Okay, that gave them way too much freedom and that did not go well for me or them. Or, wow, they were really upset and they felt like I took away their choice. And I wonder if there are creative ways that I could have addressed that situation so that it worked for me, but it also gave them a little bit more autonomy and choice. And so that is going to be a constant conflict between parent and child, but it can be a beautiful thing of learning to listen to yourself and listen to your child and slowly, as the authority figure, navigate getting in that sweet spot. And it's not something that I think you can jump in that river and just swim there all the time. Like you're going to hit the bank, kind of bounce around on the banks until you kind of eventually get more into a groove as you get more experience with parenting. And I think it can be disorienting to feel like you're finding your way as a parent when you've got a toddler in front of you that you've got to make decisions with quickly. Just thinking about all these conversations we've been having, it requires that ability to anchor yourself in the uncertainty. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to make some mistakes. There's a lot of trial and error, which requires us to have some of that psychological flexibility with ourselves. You know, again, this stage for our kiddos is about autonomy versus shame, but it's also inviting us to not shame ourselves, not beat ourselves up to show compassion for ourselves while we're in that process of learning this very nuanced dance. Yeah. If it's multiple children, like it is different for each child. So it's a new experience and adventure every single time. Yeah. And to give ourselves like a wide open canvas to experiment and to know that we are going to mess up and it's not about being perfect. That's not what the child needs. They just need someone who is mostly present And that is the work that toddlers offer us is where are we scattered? Where are we distracted? And toddlers like pull you into the present. It can be a huge gift and it can also be a huge challenge because you may 
not want to be in the present moment, you know, battling for 10 minutes to try to get shoes on or whatever it may be. And so I think toddlers just offer an enormous possibility for us to experience discomfort within ourselves and to notice and name how we're feeling in any given moment and to just allow the full experience of life with all of the emotions. Something that caught me by surprise was just the sheer sensory overload that can happen at this stage. You know, there's just a lot of sights and sounds and you're being touched a lot and there's smells. And so there can be legitimate sensory overload for our nervous systems. And we can surpass our neurological threshold for certain senses. And by 9am, you might be completely overloaded. You've been up for three hours already, but you still have the rest of the day ahead of you. Yeah, it's a really good naming there that it's okay. And again, we could shame ourselves for that. It's okay. You're going to feel some sensory overload. It's a lot of new bodies in your space. It's a lot of new stimulus every single day. And to give yourself that process of adjusting, maybe shifting how you go through your day. You may have less capacity for other people. You may have less capacity in other ways. If you work full-time, that's another variable where you're having to balance suddenly a whole new set of stimulus on top of an existing one. And just to be really, really gentle with yourself as you transition yourself through this season. I think that's the key to it all is just being very kind and gentle with yourself. And that then enables you to be a little bit more kind and gentle with your toddler. The way that we are with ourselves as we transition, even at that young age, models for our children that it's okay to be in process. It's okay. If I'm trying to be perfect and beating myself up, there's an unspoken message to my child that they need to be perfect and not be in transition, right? So if I'm able to show my children, this is what it's like for me to be kind to myself through this, they're going to catch that. More is caught than taught. They're going to catch that as they're learning how to be in that process with themselves. When it comes to my own health journey, I've just found that I need a specialized touch. There's just a couple of complicated things going on, and I really need someone to stick with me in the details. Everyone is so unique, which is why I'm so excited to introduce you to today's sponsor, Wild Health. Wild Health uses your genetics, your biometrics, and your lifestyle data to help you determine what your body needs as far as nutrition, exercise, sleep, supplements, and more so you can function at your best now and in the long run. In fact, Wild Health can determine if you have elevated levels that can contribute to a wide range of current or potential issues from brain fog or drowsiness during your busy workday to microbiome and gut health issues to indicators for diabetes or prediabetes. I love my Wild Health coach. She is amazing. She is kind. She is smart. She has great interventions that help me every single week. Wild Health is generously extending Best of You listeners 20% off the cost of membership with code Best of You. Head over to wildhealth.com slash best of you and use code Best of You at checkout. Make this commitment to yourself and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash best of you. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. The indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? 
introducing an air purifier that captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out 99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that make you sick. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe-easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BESTOFYOU. You'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com, that's A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code BESTOFYOU. Rowena, as we, again, are moving rapidly, time is sort of on warp speed here, into stage three, Erickson talks about the preschool, early school years of initiative versus guilt, where children start to show interest in specific activities. They might start to show interest in particular types of play and other children. They're getting more autonomy and they're learning more. And so, again, speaking of these transitions, big transition for them. They're experiencing more of the world, which brings up complicated emotions in them that they don't have the capacity to name or process. And so we're kind of also helping normalize for them some of these different experiences of feeling hurt or feeling scared or feeling angry when they don't really have a way to process those things. What's going on for us as we're helping our children navigate this transitional season? Yeah, here in this stage, boy, attuning to emotions is hard work, both to our preschool age child and to our own. And so their passionate curiosity and delight about life is such a joy. And also they can have a lot of passionate tears and emotions about seemingly to us small things. So, you know, the way their toast is buttered, this can be like a big thing. And so you're navigating many of these moments. And that requires a lot of attuning to your own emotions. And it is hard work. And here again, I think the tension of holding love and limits together is one of the biggest challenges, trying to find ways that, you know, may be different than the way that we were raised ourselves or what we have seen modeled. And just going through all the internal dynamics of how am I going to teach responsibility to my children? Which is another transition for us, right? That transition from how do I want to do this that may be different than how my parents did it. Mm -hmm. That in and of itself can stir up a lot of inner conflict inside of us as we give ourselves permission to try things a different way in a way that may go against what we were taught. And I think, again, this is where gaps in our own experience can show up. Even the best of parents, there are different generational models of parenting. For example, there's much more of a focus and an emphasis on the importance of naming emotions now than there was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And so we are parenting in a different way and also in ways that maybe we didn't get parented. And so, like you said, we're in this dual process of figuring out how to honor our own internal landscape, the different parts of us, the different emotions in us, even as simultaneously we're trying to learn how to do that with our kids. I remember one time you and I had a conversation and you were describing 
this experience to me. And I remember coming alongside you and we were naming you have four young children to parent in addition to your own inner 12-year-old who enters into the mix from time to time and who also needs you to honor and validate her emotions that she's having about all of this. Yeah. So I think children at this age make possible just a huge potential for inner growth for us as parents, especially coming into contact with this term that I like from this book called Motherhood, Facing and Finding Yourself by Lisa Marciano. She calls it the shadow side and how inevitably children will trigger or draw out our shadow side to the surface. And, you know, we become more faced with how we can be swept away by an overwhelming tsunami of emotion that we didn't know was capable of rising up within us. And we can see ourselves at our very worst. And, you know, all humans have this shadow side. So you know how in Romans 7, it says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And I think this becomes so much more evident and pronounced when you're a parent and forced to reckon with this shadow side of yourself that you maybe thought, nah, I don't really have that. I'm super calm. I'm super patient. And her book is just hilarious. I feel like any mother could read it and find such a deep relaxation in them as they realize we all have a capacity you know, to be filled with rage at certain moments. And I think it's really important to name that in this stage of life of being with our kids, because it's not talked a lot about. And I think it's really important that people don't feel alone when they're met with that inner volcano that's rising. And this can cause such distress. It can be easy for parents to get really discouraged or stuck in shame or guilt about that. And there's such a beautiful way that that can be kind of brought to the surface and be like, wow, I really, I really flipped my lid there. That's certainly not how I want to be. And so you make the repair. But the inner growth that we go through is not this beautiful, calm, serene walk in the garden. It is like a bit of a intense battle at times to name different parts of ourselves that are really coming to the surface that we haven't interacted with a lot in the past. Yeah, it's so true. Every relationship gives us these opportunities to grow. And these opportunities to grow are not always, as you're saying, pleasant. They often show up as these overwhelming emotions that we don't want to feel. And so I'm keenly aware as I'm listening to you that these opportunities for growth can come through other means. Just being a human being in relationships with other people, this is really normal to have these opportunities to investigate our own big emotions And parenting can be one of those crucibles for that that is the most off-putting because we're like, we're not supposed to feel this way about our own children. But in fact, it's just another crucible in which we're learning to face the reality of our human nature with curiosity, with compassion, and also with an eye toward growth. Right. So that brings us into the next stage, which uh, according to Erickson was the early school years, industry versus inferiority. This is where our kids are headed out to school. They're with their peers more than they're with their parents. They're getting grades. They're starting to measure themselves against their peers. They're interacting with teachers. And we're trying to help our kids develop a sense of confidence, a sense of competence as opposed to a sense of inferiority. And again, this one touches on so many of us personally, because this is where we start to have more memories and we remember that struggle. It's very visceral inside of us, our own struggle with this feeling confident and competent versus inferior. 
And so what's going on for us as parents in this stage, Rowena? I think some of the common transitions for parents in this stage is navigating having a healthy attachment with a kid who's slowly needing you less and less. So some of the challenges that come along with that is navigating this really big tension with allowing your kids to struggle and fail in age-appropriate ways and not rescuing or preventing failure or learning of consequences. And this can be hard for us as parents to resist the urge to step in and solve all their problems for them while also being a support figure for them. Another challenge I think at this stage can be just the immense self-awareness that we develop over time as a parent in respecting the authenticity of our kids and their interests and being really aware of times when we might be trying to heal things from our past self at that age or ways that we're trying to continue our desires through them. So a a small example for me was that I had to mourn a little bit when my daughter tried soccer and didn't want to continue anymore. I loved playing myself and a part of me wanted to keep kind of living out my love of soccer by watching her play. And I remember, you know, when she was like, I I think I'm, I think I'm good. I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I just remember feeling like, oh, that aches a little bit. And just needing to feel that and release that and not shame myself for that. I want to let her be who she is. But that requires that transition of letting go of things that you hoped you would enjoy with your child. That's a great example. Another thing I've come across is we can see things about ourselves that maybe we still don't like in our kids and come on too strong trying to get our kids to fix things at a certain age that really are more about our own inner wrestling. Yeah. So like if a kid is shy or something and you're wanting to kind of push them to be a little bit more extroverted. Because it was painful for you when in fact, because you parented them differently, they're actually at peace with their level of extroversion or introversion. Yeah, they might be very comfortable being introverted. We can project onto them our own wounds. And so it's so important, especially as they get a little bit older, to do our own work of, wait, what's me? What's my own growth curve here? And what's theirs? And and that just takes a lot of this agility to be very aware of our own stuff, even as we're trying to shepherd them through their growth. Carol Dweck captured this really well in her book, Mindset, about the concepts of growth versus fixed mindset. Fixed mindset being this cognitive idea that we might have that our abilities are unchangeable. So like either I'm good at math or I'm not good at math. Whereas growth mindset is the idea that with some effort and practice, you can improve and get better. This might be what we are trying to teach ourselves is to have more of a growth mindset And this can be in any capacity of life. And, you know, it might not be across the board that we have growth or fixed mindset, but it's really interesting to notice when we might be parenting from a place of fixed mindset and trying to gently move ourselves out of that. I am not fixed in this state. And that I think is the gift that transitions bring us is that they help us move through some of these fixed mindset ways of being and get a little bit more adaptable or a little bit more self-aware or whatever it might be. I find it so fascinating that the way we praise has a profound influence on how we cultivate a fixed or a growth mindset in our kids. And so kids who are always called smart actually are less likely to approach challenging tasks in the future out of fear that they might not be considered smart anymore and lose that kind of validating praise. And so she found that Cultivating growth mindset was done through 
a different type of praise where you praise the effort and the ability and the process rather than these labels of being smart or not smart. And I just find that so interesting. That's so good. Give us an example. You know, one example might be, so growth mindset cultivates more of that intrinsic motivation. And then the fixed mindset is is more tied to extrinsic rewards and motivation. For example, if your kid is learning fractions, you could say, wow, you are so smart. You did all those fractions. Or you could say, wow, I saw how hard you worked on learning your fractions. You've come a long way with all that effort. And so praising them for their effort and for trying rather than the result is so crucial in cultivating that growth mindset and not setting themselves up to fear failure and making mistakes. And then having that same mindset within ourselves of being comfortable making mistakes and being gentle with ourselves when we fail and parenting from a growth mindset of ourselves while doing this with our kids. It's just becomes a very meta process. Yeah, I love that. Again, that modeling, it's like I'm having a growth mindset toward my parenting. You know, I'm not a bad parent or a good parent. I'm I'm working really hard to figure things out. And you're modeling that as you're doing that for yourself, as your kids are trying to figure out how to have that same approach. Valentine's Day has passed, but the need to say I love you is never over. Finding a way to tell someone you care about them on a consistent basis is hard. At least it was until Good Ranchers came along. Say I love you with meat this year, but not just any meat. Over 85% of grass-fed beef sold is imported from overseas. That's why it has to be Good Ranchers. 100% American hand-trimmed steakhouse-quality meat delivered to your door. Use my code BESTOFYOU to get 10% off when you order any box from Good Ranchers today. Nothing says you care more than prime cuts of beef and pork, pasture-raised chicken, and wild-caught seafood. You can get all of it delivered every four, six, or eight weeks at GoodRanchers.com. Ditch the usual gifts that just don't cut it anymore. Say it with a subscription to American Meat instead. Snag your 10% off and free shipping with my code BESTOFYOU at GoodRanchers.com today. With a 100% satisfaction guarantee, you can count on your monthly delivery of meat to always deliver the quality of flavor and service you deserve. Forget the flowers, set up an easy, affordable, and delicious subscription to American Meat delivered today and save $30 with my code BEST OF YOU. Say you're the best with the best meat in America from Good Ranchers. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. The truth is all relationships need work and therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face, whether with friends, colleagues, your significant other or anyone. Therapy can teach you communication skills. It can teach you assertiveness. If you have trouble advocating for yourself within your relationships, it can be a place you set aside to work through challenges regularly, even in your relationships that are going well. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash best of you today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash best of you. So let's talk a little bit about this fifth stage. This is where we get into adolescence, where Erickson talked about a sense of identity. I talk about this a lot in The Best of You, this sense of selfhood versus role confusion. There's a sense of 
who we are in the world, what our values are, our place, that we have a place in the world. Now, more recent research suggests that this stage expands into the 20s now that kids aren't really arriving at a full sense of identity into the 20s and that we actually need to be parenting our young adult children. It's not like when they graduate and go to college that suddenly the parenting stops. It doesn't. There's still a lot of parenting years all the way through our kids' lives. But this is a really pivotal season where we're trying to help our kids essentially differentiate from us, find their own identities and feel a sense of internal stability. There's just a ton of transitions for our kids in this adolescent season. And it's also a huge season for us as their parents, as adults, because again, so many of us got stuck in one of these stages. We're still wrestling to find our sense of identity. We're still wrestling to feel our place in the world. And yet we're trying to help our kids navigate their way through it. And so again, it just brings up these opportunities for us to confront some of these challenges in our lives. There's a real ongoing need for kids to remain dependent and attached to their parents while also getting a little bit more freedom as they get older. I love Gordon Newfield's and Gabor Mate's book, Hold On to Your Kids. In discussing a lot of these dynamics in navigating attachment during these years and knowing when to give space and freedom and offer emotional support and attunement, and just the real importance at this stage of kids not becoming peer attached. Of course, peers are important and having peered relationships is vital. But I really love that this book highlights the importance of keeping the primary attachment and secure base be the parents so that they can have healthier relationships with their peers, but that having peer attachment is inherently unstable because these parties are both in such crucial developmental stages that these relationships are not made to be stable attachment figures. Yeah, this is so interesting because this relates back to the theme of this whole series where adolescence really is that wilderness. It really is that incredible liminal place for our kids. And so we become that liminal attachment figure. And while their peers, like you're saying, are so important, we also want to equip them with the very skills we're trying to talk about in this series, which is the ability to tolerate some distress, the ability to tolerate a lot of competing emotions and to think for themselves and to not just default to over-attaching to others so that they don't have to face the uncertainty and the confusion and the internal commotion that is inherent to this season. I mean, adolescence really is the sort of epitome of a transitional season from childhood to adulthood. And so I love what you're saying. This is where it's so important for us to be equipping them to push off of us at times as they're learning how to find their own voice and not just find another bigger, more compelling attachment figure to lock onto. Right. As you say, the words push off of us, that immediately brings to mind, I think, one of the most helpful images of what adolescence is like that Dr. Lisa DeMore talks about. She's written a lot about adolescent development as a psychologist and the analogy of the swimming pool and that teenagers want some freedom to swim around in the swimming pool, but then they might get overwhelmed occasionally and want to come back to the side of the pool, which is us, the parents, before they kick off or push off the wall again. And so I think one of the biggest transitions that I'm anticipating 
is the unpredictability of knowing like, oh, is this a moment that you really need me? Or is this a moment that you're pulling away? And the dance of it going back and forth and just trying to ready myself for that in order to walk with my kids as they transition from being a child to being a young adult that it is going to be an ongoing kind of negotiation and dance. And it might be a very awkward dance at times. It might feel really beautiful and seamless at other times. This is where that idea of us being that guide in the wilderness, in a way, it requires so much internal stability from us. It requires us not to take things personally. You know, we talk about that when we're parenting adolescents. It requires us to be that voice of wisdom. We go into those transitional seasons with our kids. I mean, and that's true of all of parenting, but I know in my own experience. So I write about this a little bit in The Best of You. When I met my husband, he was a widower with two young kids and they had lost their mom, right? And so they had already gone through a major disruption to a primary attachment. There was a lot of grief there. There was also a lot of stability. My husband did an amazing job of being a stable figure through that transition for them doesn't take away the grief. It never takes away the grief. And also there were a lot of really beautiful, stabilizing attachments that allowed them to go through that. That being said, introducing myself as a new attachment figure for them required me almost immediately to provide this anchoring presence. I love that swimming pool metaphor. I think there's a parallel that applies to the role of being a step parent or even an adoptive parent, no matter the age of your kids, really, where you very quickly are stepping into an intense season of transition for a child who has lost a biological parent or has gone through a transition of parents divorcing, where the role of a parent, which is true of all parents, but it's a little heightened in those situations, to stand in the gap, to stand in that place of transition as that anchoring figure. Wow, your kids are sorting out their own identities and their own identities in relationship to you. And it can be so tempting, whether as a biological parent, whether as a step parent, whether as an adoptive parent, to want to bring our own needs into the relationship at that time, our own needs to be liked, our own needs to be affirmed, our own needs to be valued, right? It can be very tempting to bring those into that relationship when really, What our kids need as they're finding their own way, as they're finding their own identities, is for us to be very human. I always say to parents at this stage, you get to be a person, you get to have feelings, you get to sometimes get your feelings hurt, and also it's your job to be strong enough to be that figure that they're going to push off of. It's a both and of, I'm going to be here, I'm going to stand firm here, I'm not going to move. And I'm not going to try to, in my case, I'm not going to try to replace something that's been lost. That's not my job. My job is to honor that loss and honor that I'm not that replacement attachment figure. But as I stand firm in my own identity, in my own work that I've done, I can be this stabilizing force for you. I can stand here with you in whatever valley you're going through. Again, whether it's through your own loss or whether it's just through the ups and downs and trials and tribulations of adolescence, I have enough strength to stand here and to let you come and sometimes push off of me and sometimes cling on to me. And I'm not going to cave either way. I'm going to be here for you. And it's really a profound time of showing our kids what it's like to be that stabilizing presence. Again, I want to 
underscore here, we're not God. We will get our feelings hurt. We will want our kids to appreciate us. Of course we will. And at times it's appropriate to say, man, you can push off of me, but you can't hurt me, right? We can set those limits in this season and we can honor our humanity. And also I'm not going to leave. I am here. I'm never going to leave you. And we're really modeling that lived embodied presence of how God is with us as the ultimate parent who's always there with us. He also is real. He honors when we've stepped over boundary lines, when we've done something to hurt him, right? He isn't without passions. He isn't without emotions. And also he's always there. And so for me, that experience of parenting has required so much deep soul work of this thing, Rowena, that you and I have been talking about this whole series of honoring my own humanity, my own emotions, even as I deeply embody the privilege of being this liminal figure, this attachment figure in the wilderness that really is the work of all parenting. We are an incredibly crucial figure in our kids' lives through all of these seasons And also our job is simultaneously helping to launch our children so that they can live their own lives apart from us. And so we're always doing that dance internally of wanting to feel that closeness with them and also wanting to release them to fly, to live their own lives. And that really comes to a head in these adolescent years, and it continues into the young adult years where we watch them. My husband always uses this expression. We launch them like little birds. They leave the nest and they fly and they make it to the next tree. And it's amazing. And our role shifts again. You know, we're so thrilled that they make it to the next tree. We're also there if they fall and they hit the ground and we need to be there to help them get back up. That work never changes. We continue that work for the rest of our days. And we continue that work of stabilizing ourselves while we also release them. And it just, that paradox of that both and just gets heightened as our kids age, the older that they get. That is so true. And just underscores the ongoing process that it is as a parent to just be letting go continually while navigating, having healthy attachment and then, you know, having a healthy attachment towards adulthood, those bigger releases of, okay, now you're going to college. Now you're living on your own and you're building a family of your own and setting the foundation for that secure attachment along the way allows for that letting go to happen in that gradual way. And then the fruit of enjoying like a beautiful relationship with your adult children is what I hope for. Exactly. And the thing that's so cool as we're rounding out this series, right, is it's a parallel process. As we're helping our kids through these different seasonal transitions, we're setting them up to launch and to develop healthy relationships and to have kids of their own. And we're simultaneously doing the work of essentially becoming even more whole so that as they leave us, we're also okay. We also still have purpose in life. We also still have a beautiful life, both apart from our kids and with our kids. It really demonstrates that dance we've been talking about throughout that whole series. As we're equipping them, we are also simultaneously equipping ourselves. These transitions are not easy as we've discussed this whole series, and they also just yield this ongoing fruitfulness and ongoing bringing more goodness into the world. Yeah, recognizing that our development is not complete just because we've reached adulthood, that there's ongoing development in all of us until the day we die. That's right. And that is a beautiful thing. And change is both 
hard and disorienting and we wouldn't want to stay the same our whole life long and learning to hold ourselves loosely and who we have been and who we are and who we're becoming through the endings and the neutral zones and the new beginnings and having moments in life where we can reflect and look back and honor and name and notice and feel and grieve and allow ourselves to move into a new season and then that cycle repeats and just having that broad lens of the totality of our life I think is so helpful to know that this is a process that comes and goes and comes and goes again in ever-evolving ways. Life is not linear. It's about these cycles kind of repeating so that we can grow to be more and more whole people and the people that God has made us. This has been such a rich conversation. We've talked about this so much and yet moments of this have just surprised me. And I'm so grateful again that we could do this. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of The Best of You. It would mean so much if you take a moment to subscribe. You can go to Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click the plus or follow button. That will ensure you don't miss an episode and it helps get the word out to others. While you're there, I'd love it if you leave your five-star review. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, you honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.